Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hi, audience and listeners. This is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Ryan Gibson from Spartan Investment Group. Spartan Investment Group focuses a lot on self-storage. They have almost 4,000 units. They have a lot of uh, units in DFW area and a few other states. I think Ryan's going to talk about it in a short while. And they recently started about some development in mobile home parks, which will touch about it in a short while. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, James, for having me. Fun to put a... Uh, Get on your show. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So why not you tell about yourself and your company, uh, things that I've missed out? Yeah. So we are based in Golden, Colorado, and we uh, buy and uh, existing and develop self-storage properties. And we do all of our uh, properties and projects through syndications. So we raise capital from private investors and we, uh, we go out and buy uh, storages that we can buy and get existing cash flow on, and then we can eventually either expand them or just improve operations to make additional income. Um, we also build self-storage from the ground up, and uh, we do a little bit of RV park investing as well, but storage is the primary focus. So you know, previously, we were land developers and built condos and uh, flipped houses and uh, focused on storage mostly just because of the uh, recession resistancy you know, during, uh, you know, during downtimes. And when we were first looking at the industry, that really is what um, you know attracted us to um, jump into the business was the you know kind of how it performed during the last two recessions. Got it, got it. I did a lot of uh, research of different asset class. I wrote it in my book as well, like how many asset class, six asset class for past fifteen years, and just on my own. This is not from uh, Marcus and Millichap, or this is not from right. RD or Costa, right? Nice. I looked at all the asset class and was looking at all the past 15 years report, uh, which there's a report called Integra Realty Resources. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah that, that's the report that all the appraisers, commercial appraisers uh, report to, right? That's the, the organization. And I was looking at self-storage and multifamily and all that. I was surprising to see that self-storage did you know, do well for the past 15 years, even during the downturns. I know in the beginning, you know, 15 years back, they didn't really allocate a specific asset class for it, but they did talk about it. And in general, I didn't see any downturn, even though there's a lot, every other asset class goes up and down. So that's that's a very interesting. I and mean, why do you think is that? Because it revolves on, it relies on life events and life <laughs> events never never stop happening. No, I'm seriously, the, uh, you know, you get divorced, um, typically stuff goes in storage. You, re- you uh, renovate your house, stuff goes into storage. Uh, in times of good times, um, stuff goes into storage. In times of bad times, stuff goes into storage. When you get downsized, when you move, when your job relocates, when there's disruption in the market, um, that triggers self-storage events. And added on to that, businesses use it because not everybody can park their work truck in their HOA driveway if they're in a covenant-restricted community. 
and not uh, everybody can have all their utilities and supplies, um, you know, in their house. And so, you know, the simplest way to say it is, you know, for an extra 50 bucks a month, imagine having a whole another room in your house, right? And that's, uh, that's what people have really, you know, that's really been a big driver for demand and self-storage. We like it because um, unlike other asset classes, when a, a customer comes in, uh, we have a lien against all of their stuff. So if they don't pay, we can auction that off for a profit. You know, the, uh, the revenue loss is uh, much lower for, you know, the potential when a tenant doesn't pay. You know, with COVID and everything, we're not you know, we we're, we're there was still rental rate rate increases. Uh, we still had high occupancy. We still can host auctions and and have people move out if if they don't pay. We held back on that on a couple properties and a couple markets, but for the most part, you know, we didn't have the government restrictions that a lot of a lot of other asset classes um, had on that kind of stuff. So got it, got it. Well, I mean, I'm sure the audience is thinking, why not uh, James jumps on uh, self storage, right? So, but let me tell you why I didn't. And you can you can always debate this, right? So one thing I didn't jump on uh, self storage at that time. Uh, I mean, for, of course, I for me focus is very important. Uh, absolutely, every asset class there's so much of nuances in in this field. It's not easy, even though self storage has like four walls and there's nothing in it. But I'm right, sure there's a difficulty in finding the deal, difficulty in executing the business plan and turnaround and you know disposition and all that right so i mean but i didn't do it because at that time there was not much of non recourse loan available i think unless you go really low on the leverage right so how is yep. that right now uh you can get re- you can get non recourse right now on ground up construction on ground up construction okay got it what about yeah. on the and, oh and and of course uh you know that 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 would be rare uh, in our industry um of course on uh buying uh, existing self storage properties non recourse is uh, widely available um, so, Got it. Okay. Even, yep. So now it's available right now. At what leverage uh, level? Just depends. Uh, I think we just tied up a deal that um, around seventy to seventy-five percent non-recourse. Okay. Um, okay. Institutional loan. So you know, okay. I, I you know, it just depends. Uh, just yeah. depends on the lender. Depends on the deal. Depends on the play. Um, yeah, I had a friend who was like eighty-five years old. He's a he's a broker, <laughs> but it's a very healthy guy. And he said he started with multifamily and moved on to storage. And he owns a lot of uh, storage units. And and I was calling him, and he said maybe at that time uh, he said, yeah, it's hard to find uh, non-recourse loans, right? Uh, the other challenge in storage is, you know, I mean, anybody can build a new self-storage development in front of your storage unit, right? It's very easy to build. Maybe. Or maybe okay. So what? What are maybe? The, yeah. So the, so so that's a. You could say that as a general statement that it wouldn't apply everywhere. So okay, got it. There's got a it. lot of moratoriums on storage. There is a mm. lot of restrictions. Some communities don't have zoning for it. Some you know some cities you know quite frankly would not allow you to use it at all. Mm. So you know it just depends on where you are. Some jurisdictions it's oh yeah come build it no problem at all. You just need, you know, just, it just depends on the market. You know, we have it, markets where there's like no zoning and we could build whatever we wanted. And there's markets where it's taken us 40 years to get a permit. It just, it really just depends. And then there's some markets where you get your permit and then they slap a moratorium on there and you can't build your storage anymore. That's happened out here in Washington and a few places. So oh. it's, um, you know, you really got to pay attention. And, you know, and I think uh, really what, you know, the most, if, if someone was like, what's the one thing that I could take away from talking to a storage operator is the market study. It really comes down to, do you have the demand and is there the you know, supply of people and, um, and demand essentially in the market to fill up your property or execute your business plan? It's huge. You know, you, you know, someone might say, you know, is, is storage a good play in, I don't know, make up a city, Austin, Texas. You know, and, and, I, and I will say, well, generally, no, it's not. It's actually a terrible market. No offense. 
but no, no, no worries. it might it might be good on one side of the town and catastrophic on the other side. It's a three mile business, so it's like whatever's happening around in that immediate micro market is really what it comes down to. So some markets are you know generally better, some markets are generally worse, but at the end of the day, it's it's right in that five to ten minute drive time of the property um, and the market study that that makes the difference. So um, what is the, I mean, the, all your details that you're telling me right now, that's why I say there's so much of nuances in any asset class that oh, yeah. <laughs> outsiders may not know, right? I mean, it's easy to say, you know, it's easy to build, uh, but, you know, there's so much of market research knowledge that, you know, only the operators who are specialized in it knows about it, right? So and I really do have a lot of respect for every asset class uh, exactly. uh, operators, right? They are, they are Definitely people were really good at that. So let's walk through a deal, right, in self-storage. Not in terms of a deal underwriting, but let's look at the demographic of that a storage. Let's say you uh, you found a land in a city, right? How what are yep. the, Walk us through what are the steps you would take to say whether this is a good site for a self-storage facility. A couple of things. First thing I would look at is what's the population? What, you know, I would drop in... Um, on the facility, we have data and maps that will show us the drive times. And then based on those drive times, we'd get the population within the drive times of the property. And then we would look at uh, saturation levels. And what is so, the drive times uh, minutes? Uh, yeah, four minutes. I think we use eight minutes and 15 okay. minutes. Now, okay. think of it this way. If you're in an urban core, you're not going to drive 15 minutes across town. You're going to drive sure. eight minutes. Sure. So that, sure. you know, there's relevancy to where you are in the market. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But what we look at is, you know, we'll look at what is what are the comparable rent comps to what our subject facility is charging. So, okay. you know, we might be getting um, fifteen dollars a square foot on the average, um, and but it's important to know kind of what type of facilities those are. are those uh-huh. three-story glass Class A facilities are they, you know, first-generation roll-up metal buildings? You know, it, big difference. You know, climate-controlled, non-climate-controlled. Is climate controlled and in that market? Is it a hot market like a, like a warm climate that likes self storage to be climate controlled, or is it a market that prefers drive up? Or you know, climate control would be overkill and people would be unwilling to pay the extra money for that. So we look at price per square foot. You know, probably just like multifamily. And then we just look at you know, for Spartan, we look at the the ability to add on to that property. You know, can we expand it? And what is the existing dirt that's there? What is it? Is it uh, flat gravel? Is there uh, stormwater requirements, setbacks, easements, restrictions? How usable is that land, and how much would it get? To how much would it take to get the land pad ready? Because we're developers. I mean, we take properties and develop them into bigger. What about zoning? Uh, zoning's important. That's that's kind of a little bit further down on the. On oh, okay. The, on the check on the checklist, right? Got it. The the, the top thing is demand because you, you know you could have oh this is zoned for self storage and, and of course everybody knew that and then everybody built a bunch of storages but there it, and there's no demand. But, but right? is it easy to change a zoning from let's say you know multifamily to self storage? Uh, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> okay. And I, maybe I, not I, multifamily because I, I know residential have a lot of high priority right in in terms it, of city development. Yeah. Let's say commercial office building. Let's say commercial land, right? Uh, yeah. So I'll start. I mean, it depends, right? So and I know, I know you don't like the word. It depends, but you know, it it depends. So like, if you um, are looking in a market where you know we we entitled a self storage project in a in a city that had no zoning for storage, so everything mm-hmm. was a conditional use permit. Everything was a public hearing. The public could come in. The city <laughs> had to make a recommendation oh to a hearing examiner. Right? Huge process. We, we've taken uh, residential land and rezoned it into commercial so we could build hmm. self-storage. Oh, really? Um, okay. 
we had to go in front of the board of county commissioners. We had to go in front of, you know, there had to be room for public comment. Uh, there was opposition, right? But we, we were successful and got the land entitled. But every jurisdiction is just a little bit different. We've bought properties that are zoned for storage. And we've gotten the entitlements and they take, they can take anywhere from two to six months to get it to building permit, you know, depending on how fast you're pushing and assuming no closures in the city and things like that. It just, it just runs the gamut. You know, I, like I said, I've, I have uh, colleagues in the industry that have bought property. They got the entitlements. So yeah, you can build storage here. And then they, the city puts in a moratorium on storage and now they can't build anything. So they bought this land, they got the entitlements, they've spent all this money. Now they can't even build. So how do you prevent that kind of things from happening? You don't. It's because you already bought the land, right? So yeah, I mean, you could you could you know negotiate the contract to close upon building permits, but mm. you know then you got to find a willing seller, and you know of course that's always a negotiation, yeah, right? It's too messy at um, the time, I guess, right? But yeah, when you develop, I mean, it could it can be it can be riskier, and it's also there's a potential for a bigger return, um, but you also introduce a lot more risk. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, is it easy to do? It can be, and it can be very difficult. And to to the to the point of being impossible, uh, so it really just depends. So when you guys raise the money from your investors, have you already done that? Um, let's say for a development project, right? Are you already already done that uh, that part, or you are still looking at yeah, entitlement? We, yeah, we've really learned our lessons through the years. So you know, we we bought a storage property, and when the rezone of the land from you know, so, so you have kind of a couple of different phases of development when you're doing like the paperwork to get it ready to go vertical. So the last thing you get is your building permit, right? So your building permit is, there's really not a whole, that's pretty straight down the, the, the fairway. That, that is, you know, meeting building codes, getting your building permit. Not a lot of risk in that. Not risk, but there's not a lot of risk. Um, but the phase just before that might be your entitlement so that you can actually do what you want to do, or it might even be some type of site plan development where the city has to approve your site plan, but you don't necessarily have your drawings done for the buildings. They've just approved, okay, building here, building here, building here. This is your height. This is your setback. This is how much square footage you're going to deliver as site plan approval. And then, you know, then you have the zoning that might be before that. And it might already be zoned that that might be your first step. You know, do I meet the zoning? If I don't, I might have to rezone. That could take years. So, you know, we just kind of look at the project and negotiate with the seller to buy the property. Um, you know, when it's hit a point where we're comfortable with closing on the land, and then we negotiate the purchase and sales agreement as such, and then we do the raise uh, in accordance with how we feel our comfort level to be. Because we don't want to raise the money until we know we can do what we want to do. Um, Got it. And, uh, you know, we've really refined our processes for that over the years to know that, you know, hey, okay, we can, you know, we can close. And we've gotten better at negotiating. Like, how can you expect me to buy this land when I don't even know I can do what I want to do with it, right? Yeah, correct. If it's a hot market, you know, make a decision. You know, you either want it or you don't. If it's a property that's been sitting on the market for a year, you know, you can come up with some pretty creative ways to keep the property tied up while you go through that process. So, so how many percent of this four thousand units was developed versus how many was uh, bought uh, from? Twenty five percent. Twenty five percent was newly developed. Okay, are you guys more trending towards development rather than buying? <sighs> That's a great question. I would probably say we're buying more than we are developing right now. Okay, um, Got it. for no 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 reason other than just we have our our development pipeline is full enough. Um, mm-hmm. Development is expensive, and development uh, requires a lot of cash, and um, you don't want too many of them going on at one time. 
So got it. So we got have it. we 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 have two very large. We have about twenty two million dollars right now of development. Actually, no, we probably have about thirty million dollars in development right now, and that's a, that's about our comfort level. Um, that's our spend for twenty twenty uh, for development. And um, you know, we really don't want to get much uh, past that. We also only develop in the states that we live in, so Washington and Colorado. Um, we don't like to uh, do adding on to a property is not a big deal, but we don't like to do ground up development where we go through the whole process if we live out of state because inevitably, if you want to get things done, you got to be down at the county, down at the city hall, down at the office all the time. You're going down there all the time. Hey, oh, you want this? Okay, no problem. Otherwise, Constantly it's, otherwise to- it's going to just take forever, right? To <laughs> get a project done, right? So, and, and who wants to fly an hour and a half somewhere to drop off a piece of paper and then fly back, right? I mean, it's just not efficient. So we just like to be in town because I, you know, I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone down there to, you know, shake the trees and, you know, get, get per get progress, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I've done a small land development beside my apartment. We were converting it. We were combining the adjacent plot of land into the apartment and that itself was a lot of work already. Right. Uh, oh, I bet. But the city was supportive and it, 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 it went through well, but just the amount of paperwork, the amount of bureaucratic process that you had to go through. Right. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What about a uh, demographic? I mean, we talked about demographic. How do you say that this, you know, particular yeah. submarket is good demographic for a good self storage business? We like at least one percent growth. We like to okay. see and trending growth. Uh, we like to see you know fifty thousand income. We like to see uh, saturation levels. Okay. Like you know seven, like a seven square foot uh, per utilization for storage. So How do you get that data? Seven square foot per utilization. We we have Radius Plus, and we use um, a couple of different programs. Radius okay. is one other program that we use. So Radius to, Plus is a is a software for self storage uh, yep. investors. Okay, for them to see yeah, so we, demand like I guess right. If if you gave me an address, I could tell you. I could within 20 minutes. I could tell you what's the drive time around it. I could tell you the demographics. I could tell you the demand. I could tell you all the permits in the pipeline. So that's mm. another thing. And what oh, exists yeah. is was great, but I can tell you everybody who's building, everybody who's applied, who's canceled, who's coming, right? And then of course we do our boots on the ground research where we go knock on knock on doors and go to the city and ask them like, oh hey, you know, is anybody else? Oh yeah, John, you know, he he was over here last week. You know, that doesn't show up in re- <laughs> that doesn't show yeah, up on true. record, but but the intent. And then you go talk to John and you say, hey, you're really going to do this because we're thinking about doing it too. And okay. kind of you know, we've got into situations like that, and either we've given up or they give up or whatever, and we just move on to a different market if the market can't supply you know all that additional storage. So. Does the self storage purchases uh, involves like you know stringent requirement or stringent terms like what multifamilies like day one hot money very tight you know, inspection due due diligence process. It's extremely competitive, and it and it might be as competitive or more competitive as multifamily. Okay. Um, okay. You know when you because when people think of storage, they're like, oh, I've never I've never really heard of that. I don't know what that is, and and then they're like, and then they do multifamily, and they're like, multifamily is really hard. You know, there's all these people doing it, and <laughs> oh my god, there's so much competition. Maybe I'll go try storage because it'll be less competitive. And then they go over to storage, and they're like, oh, there's a lot of people that do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what the the difference is, there are so many multifamily properties in the United States. Self storage, you can't even hold a candle to the wind. I mean, there's fifty thousand facilities total in the entire United States. Yeah. So when you're when you're talking about competition, if you're looking at a property that's a million dollars or less, no problem. You you can go bid on it as a mom and pop. When you go a million to a million to to five, maybe six million, 
um, that you can reposition or that, you know, show some signs of uh, mom and pop operations, you're competing against the, the best of them. You know, the all cash, the, you know, close in 30 days, you know, 60 days, whatever it might be. But generally what we do is we do about 10% earnest money deposit and we will do, oh no, sorry, not 10%. We'll do like, uh, you know, on a $6 million facility, we might put up anywhere from 25 to 50K. Okay, okay. And that doesn't go hard until due diligence is completed and signed off on. Oh, okay. Then, so that's not bad. It's not like day one, no. hard money, like what's happening in, in multifamily, right? No, we don't. We and, and if we were in that space, we wouldn't play that game. You're just, whether you think it or not, you're, you're competing with yourself at that point. You're, you're worried about losing that money. I mean, we have a hundred percent contract to close ratio. So everything that we've put under contract, we've purchased. I mean, we had a bank pull out three days before closing. We went and raised a private loan. We did, we did our own deal. So we, we've done everything, you know, to really help get the deal closed. And we've got that reputation to close. And I think that people value our relationship a lot more than they do necessarily how much earnest money we put up. So we, and we've had a broker bring us a lot of deals, you know, and just keeps bringing, bringing us deals because we make it real simple on them. You know, it's a very simple process with us. Um, you know, we get everything on the table. We, we're very transparent. And as you know, in multifamily, that'll go a long way. Any, any, any business, right? So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. brokers love people are easy to deal with, right? Because, you know, this is just multi-million dollar deals and you do not want to have a, a tough and tough person to work with uh, when you're going through, you know, such a big uh, transaction, right? So, yep. so at a very high level, what are the value add that you usually do in self-storage? Cameras for security. Mm-hmm. Rental rate increases. So what you put, you put a camera, you get higher rental rate or it's just... People walk in and they want to feel secure. So our oh, target okay. customer, our target customer is a 70 year old woman. Mm-hmm. That's who rents our properties. So when they walk to your property, is it dark? Are there cameras? Is it secure? Does it feel like the fence is going to fall over? So we, we take the properties, we'll put in a new fence, we'll put in new cameras, we'll uh, paint all the doors, we'll replace doors, uh, we'll rehab the office. We'll put in uh, notary services. We'll put in ice and vending machines. We'll put in... Why do you need a notary service in a self-storage facility? Convenience. So we like to be a shop of convenience. So if somebody's got an Etsy, Amazon, they have a home-based business, and they can come to our storage facility, they can drop their FedEx, UPS deliveries off at one of our properties. They can get their items notarized. They can ship. They can store. Um, we even have a car wash at one of our properties. Um, so, you know, we try to be a, a place of convenience for people. Um, so that not, not that we're going to make any money on it. It's just a place where people can go and, and know that they can get, you know, they can, you know, I can, I can rent my U-Haul truck to move my goods somewhere at your property. I can notarize my documents. I can store my belongings. You know, I can do a lot of different things, um, to transact and do my business, um, obligations. And so we try to be kind of a, you know, a helpful facility. Not every facility does that because not every facility even has an office. Um, but the ones that do, you know, we sell retail. Uh, we start, you know, people pay cash. We get rid of cash payments and we go to um, as much automated payments as possible. We enforce the lease. You know, a lot of these facilities we take over, tenants might not even be on adequate leases. So without being on an adequate lease, you don't have an adequate lien against their belongings. You can't do an auction. So Have you guys done auctions? Oh, all the time. Oh, all the time. Okay. Yeah, all it's the like time. It's like the yeah. uh, storage war in the TV, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, not, that not, really happens? Yeah. It, the semantics are, are true, but or the, the actual process is, is true. 
but the, the way that it's carried out is, is not true. So okay, no, nobody goes in person. You know, some, there's some old school places that still kind of do that, but we do them all online. So hmm. you could go to selfstorageauctions.net, you could register. And then in your neighborhood, there could be a storage auction and you get alerted like, oh, hey, this unit's going up for auction. You could kind of log into your account and see, oh, what's in there? All right. I can see all our audience uh, and listeners are doing that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that. What, what was the website? Self-storage auction? I think it's, it's selfstorageauctions.net. All right. <laughs> and so as a company, what we do is we say, you know, the, the, the storage auctions, they're revenue producing or whatever. They're not really revenue producing. They're basically just get, you get out and get a new customer in. Mm-hmm. Like we you know, clear out the, you know, and it's the threat of, losing your stuff, right? If you don't pay, you lose so your stuff. It's like an eviction process, I guess, right? Right. Except the government, well, can't, well, put the, government can't put the moratorium like what they did in multifamily right now. Nope. The government okay. didn't touch us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're usually within 30 to 60 days, if you're not, if you, so let's say, you know, your rent's due today. If you haven't paid in five days, you get a late fee and your unit gets locked automatically. So Let's you know the gate code that lets you into our properties. It will automatic like the the revenue management system will automatically turn the gate off. Really? Yeah. Say so, so that again. We, so we, day. So we and we overlock day, we overlock day, your unit. You can't day, even get into your unit. Day zero, yeah. you don't pay your rent, and after five days, it locks by itself. Just like that. Oh. And then we'll yeah. we'll overlock we'll overlock you. So we'll over we'll put a red lock on your unit as well. Some of our properties will have the smart locks where it, it'll lock behind the door. So you can't get in. You're, you can't get into your stuff. So if you don't pay after five days, you're automatically locked out. So we like that. We don't, we, don't, we don't have to really manage that too hard. I mean, there's, you know, we have property managers or, you know, on-site staff that deal with that. But the gate code is, that's automatic. And then once you pay, it'll let you back in. But if you don't pay, you're locked out. So now you don't have access to your stuff. And after 30 days, uh, we do our notices, our lien notices, and then, and then we can uh, take pictures of your, uh, of your property, um, do our publications, and then it goes on this website. And then people can buy your stuff. And then we, any earned income from that auction goes directly to us first to recoup the costs of whatever the tenant owed us. And then any cost of legal fees associated with it. And then anything that's left over after all of our money has been recouped goes to the tenant, you know, because they got to be compensated for their stuff. So we get paid first. And then, but most importantly, we get our unit back. And in multifamily or residential, they might trash the place, uh-huh. right? They might, you know, they're going to do whatever they do, right? In storage, I mean, there's you can try to trash the place, but I mean, it's like a, it's a box. It's a box, right? Yeah. And you know, we just sweep it out. They move their stuff out, and they're gone. And then, you know, for us, we just get our unit back. And you know, we let our customers know when they book. You know, hey, sign up for our online auctions. You know, you know, so they can bid on stuff, and they can also know that hey, we do we do online auctions. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So a lot, so a lot of places we take over. I mean, the delinquencies are a mess when we take over, and that's a that's a way to increase value. Right, so we might take over a, a we took we took over a property last year, for example, and I just heard from our management that you know auctions were like I mean there was people that were 180 days delinquent, and the and the manager just wasn't collecting on the on the on the units. They just wasn't enforcing the rules. So we'll come in and we'll just you know we'll just follow the rules. Um, you know, your lease says this. If you don't pay with this, we you go to auction. And then we get we make money on late fees. Um, and some facilities that we take over don't charge late fees. I mean, if you don't pay on time, you should get charged a late fee. So there's a lot of different things we can do, you know, and plus we, you know, we'll repaint, we'll redo the doors. We'll, you know, some doors are the old cabinet doors, you know, to open up the lot, the storage locker, we'll put the roll up doors on them, you know, we'll improve the lighting, we'll redo the asphalt, whatever it might be, we just get it nicer so that the customer feels safe and secure and they feel like they're getting good value for their, uh, for their money. 
Got it, got it, got so, it. All right, Ryan, why not you tell our audience on uh, how to get hold of you and your company? Yeah, sure. So my email is uh, Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at spartan-investors.com. Um, or our website is uh, spartan-investors.com. Awesome. Thanks for coming in and adding tons of value to our listeners and audience. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It was nice meeting you. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.